0: On the White House lawn, September 15, 2020, the peace agreements brokered by the United States of America between Israel, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain were signed. The peace agreements between the nations would be known as the Abraham Accords, in homage to the biblical patriarch of both Jews and Muslims. The Accords have ushered in a new era for Israel and the Gulf region, enabling diplomatic relations, trade, commerce, tourism and cultural exchange the Accords of the Potential to Impact the Trajectory of the Middle East. The Abraham Accords podcast will be your source of quality conversation for anyone interested in the region with weekly guests on a range of topics from all signatory nations. My name is Robert Curtis and I will be co-hosting this podcast with Fleur Hassan Nahum, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem and my co-founder of the UAE Israel Business Council. Thank you for joining us. We're back with another episode of the Abraham Accords podcast. I'm so excited to be back on the mic with you, Fleur. I know, Rob. What happened to
1: us? I know. Well,
0: I I decided to take off for three weeks to Cyprus. So I'm actually back in quarantine for seven days until they can release me, even though I've had about (laughs) I've had about five tests in 24 hours and they're all negative. (laughs)
1: it doesn't matter, Rob, and now you don't have to feel alone because the whole country has to go into isolation for seven days. So it's not only Cyprus, it's everything now, practically, even the United States. Which brings us to our incredible guest this week, who I'm very proud to call a close friend, Ariella Steinreich, who is Senior Vice President at Steinreich Communications, and, Rob, as you mentioned earlier, the woman telling the narrative, telling the story, creating the story uh, of the Abraham Accords. So Ariella, it's been it's so nice to have you, and it's been a while since we wanted to have you, so we're very happy that you're with us. Thank you so much. Um, so, I guess the first question is because I think you have something, Ariella, that most people don't have in terms of uh, the narrative of the Abraham Accords. You have a before. You have life after the abraham accords we all have kind of life after the abraham accords but you really kind of actually saw touched and felt the the build up to it can
2: you tell us a little about that sure absolutely so I've been coming here uh, to the GCC for the, almost a full decade at this point, um, and I like I like to joke when I'm talking with Israelis and say that I was here in the days of the sand dunes because everybody else thinks that that uh, the Gulf just started up last past uh, <laughs> fall. But uh, but nonetheless, I have been here. I came here for work, um, you know, as most people do. You come for oil and gas, and in, in my in my uh, you know, circumstance. I came doing oil and gas PR, um, and I really just fell in love with the region. I mean, it's it's very hard not to. You've you've been here. You see the people; they're just. But our
1: Ariella, you're a girl from Teaneck, right? Religious, nice, religious Jewish girl. What how is it that you like so much?
2: How did it happen? Um, yeah. <laughs> what? what what? Where did I turn wrong? Um, no. So like I said, I mean, I've been coming out here in the beginning. I never stayed for for Shabbat, to your point. Like I didn't even know there was a community. Um, and then I learned that there was a community here in the UAE. And primarily, I was really here for, for most of it. Um, and then slowly but surely at the community in Bahrain. Um, there is not yet as big of a community in, in Saudi Arabia, but I have spent Shabbat there as well. And that's definitely a unique experience. Whoa. Um, Shabbat yeah. in Saudi Arabia what does that look like it's it's pretty unique um you know the the guy who kind of like you know is with us during you know to make sure everything is is uh, is handled um he actually noticed that i was eating you know just like fruits and vegetables and he said um he knew we kept Shabbat and so he said what time, like, what time do you want me to pre-order your room service, your salads for? And, uh, ironically, yeah. And ironically, he's actually a really lovely guy. His name is Abdallah, and he was trained in like a diplomatic school in Baku, uh, in Azerbaijan where I've also been. So, we had a lot to, to kind of catch up on. Um, and they keep, he's kind of the person that's been assigned to, you know, ever since. So we've become good friends. Um, he's always asks me to bring him kosher food, which is very funny. And he even wishes me still to this day, like a Shabbat Shalom every couple of weeks, I get a text from him that says it, um, even, you know, when I'm not there. But yeah, I mean, look, the last 10 years, the Gulf has matured in many ways, not just Jewish life in the Gulf, but in general, as they go from being so dependent on oil to trying to create new economies. And that's across the board. I mean, obviously, everybody knows, you know, the joke in Dubai is if you go away for a month, there's a new skyscraper that's built when you get back. But (laughs) <laughs> you know, in in Bahrain and in Saudi, they all have these vision, you know, 2030 plans to kind of to make some tweaks to their economy and even rehabilitate their economy in some cases. And in order to do that, you have to have, you know, you have to bring in outside, you know, companies and you have to create new industries, etc. So through that maturation process, you're starting to see, you know, more Jews there. I'm, I'm no, I'm definitely not the only Jew who's been to Saudi Arabia. Um, and I've met some who are there as well. And, and you know, it's very you know you can walk into the hotel and on Shabbat in, in Bahrain and see other Jews there sometimes too obviously here I mean here there's like more Hebrew being spoken in Dubai than uh, than I than oh yes you are trying yeah. to get away
1: from the Jews in Dubai
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you something really cool and, um in, in June of 2019, I was in Bahrain for the White House's Peace to Prosperity Conference. And so there were a lot of Israeli journalists who were there, so, um, you know, Barak Ravid. So we, uh, we actually were catching up in the lobby of the hotel and we sat there, you actually just heard Hebrew and I've never heard Hebrew being spoken in Bahrain in those days, that just, that wasn't it, you know? Um, and it was, it was like, it was really mind blowing. And even here, you know, if I think about certain pivotal moments where I was like, you know, there's such a shift. I mean, you know, you've heard of the, the community here, you know, that they used to daven for Sh'an Shabbos in the villa. And so somehow, like L'cha Dodi would always coincide with the Muslim, like, you know, prayer call. Oh, and so, so funny. yeah, so saying L'cha Dodi on the backdrop of that was just incredible. Um, and yeah, and now here we are today where there's kosher restaurants popping up right and left. Um, I'm sure you, you've you seen some of them when you were here. And yeah. uh, there's, you know, multiple schools and Jewish life is really, really booming here. And uh, it's exciting to see there's a lot of interest when the flights, you know, pick up for Bahrain. I think a lot of people want to go there too. And as Fleur knows, Bahrain has a, has a special place in my heart. Um, and so I'm excited. And I, I think that I really do believe that that more will come on board. I really do believe so.
0: What What I think is interesting is you mentioned there, and maybe you'll give a little sort of Sixty seconds on on you and, and the company and the work you're doing in the region specifically, but you mentioned obviously the peace to prosperity conference. This work was taking place is what what we're hearing well before the sort of you know announcement that we were all pleasantly shocked by on that day because um, no you know the world didn't see it coming, um, but some people did, and you could certainly see the, those. Sort of foundation stones being put in well beforehand what was what was your experience from I guess all perspectives in that sort of US, UAE, Israel prism in that in that leader because obviously peace to prosperity was regional uh, but it got quite narrow because that sounded like it was the deal that could be achieved.
2: Absolutely. Look, Peace to Prosperity also had U.S. involvement in it, and it's it's worth noting that. So it did have a little bit of flavor of the West, so to speak. Um, and for me, you know what I do, so so it's your, I'll just go back a second, but what we do is we, uh, I work for a PR firm, I head up our Middle East division, um, and we help our clients to tell their stories about leadership and, and things like that. So I'd already been going, you know, for a while, and you already saw the tone start to change uh, in general in this region, right? Meaning You've heard before of the Year of Tolerance in the UAE. That was a real shift here, and um, I remember when the Pope came to kick it off. That was that was really the, the Christians came to the streets. I mean, it, it it meant a lot to them, and so and and the Christians and the Catholics. I mean, it was almost kind of like. Everybody, even the Jews, were excited because it meant it meant that this was the beginning of something that was much greater. And everybody knew that. And and you saw everybody walk around feeling inspired, feeling full of hope, feeling that they were part of this next step for this region as a whole. So you know, you could already kind of identify there that this was what was gonna what was going on. And in terms of you know peace to prosperity, that was a unique situation. It took place in Bahrain, um, and Bahrain. Is, is a very, you know, very, co- very focused on coexistence. Um, they have a Jewish community there. They've always been openly Jewish and mm. it, it's not an issue like that. So um, the extent of excitement that you felt there was a little different. It wasn't, it wasn't so much necessarily about, um, about religion as much as something's going on because the fact that they would host a conference talking about Israel was a really, really big deal. And so if I were to look back and say, if somebody said to me, like, what were some of those moments where you knew that it was happening? That was definitely the one. I I couldn't tell you it was going to happen the next day, but I knew we couldn't have been too far off because, you know, around here, you have to read the tea leaves, right? That's like a very big thing. You know, you have to read between the lines a lot. And so no country around here would host a conference focused on developing another country if they didn't ultimately want to have some type of relationship with them. And I think that that was, that was really, that was, that was, it was just, you you felt it in the room. Um, and the US had an incredible presence there. And, um, and, and they really did help to usher this in. I think now what you're seeing, though, is the countries in the region saying, we can, we can carry this through now a little bit on our own, too. And that's important, because You know, you can absolutely, you know, the US can help to orchestrate this, but you really need to have the parties who are involved day to day, you want to empower them and you want them to feel empowered to carry it on without outside you know influence I'm not like sure
0: that. if there's any any choice I mean obviously <laughs> the, 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 the the landscape has changed you know and you know it, it doesn't have to be so political I'm gonna say but you know you had a, a, a Trump White House that this was their baby and you know even to the extent of saying today that they can't even bring themselves to say the Abraham Accords it's normalization agreements um, so there there is a different landscape but that's not necessarily a negative thing. We've got to try and sort this out together in our own backyard, ultimately, as Israelis and Arabs. I
1: agree, but also more than that, I think, and Ariella has, been pivotal. She's one of the founding members of the UAE Israel Business Council, that this has got its own legs now. I mean, this is running forward, um, unaided by the governments. People are excited, they're thirsty, they want this, and they're running towards each other. Ariella, did you expect... Um, Israelis and Emiratis, uh, you know, and, and then Bahrainis, of course, to be so excited, to be so, um, you know, in, in context so quickly, and the relationships that have been developed, was that surprising to you?
2: Or you just thought, nah, Middle Eastern people, that's how we are? I, I thought that as soon as it, as soon as it would happen, there would be a light switch effect, right? Um, and I think that is what you've seen. But there's so many similarities. You know, it's funny. I was even talking just in our in our office. We were talking about some even some business culture is so different between the gulf and and israel but there are some things that actually are like very similar in terms of ways of working not i wouldn't say culturally and i definitely wouldn't say communication wise but no. in terms of <laughs> in, some, in terms of sometimes like you know some of the things related to timelines and and, and administrative tasks, there's actually a lot in, in, in common but you know
1: i think, <laughs> I think, I think some other things it'll be yeah.
2: okay we'll get it done don't yeah, exactly. loss" <laughs> exactly. is, is, uh, is, the, is the, key, yeah. the key phrase. But um, no, you know, look, I think, I think in general, this region is really moving forward very, very, very fast at a rapid pace. And listen, I, I can't tell you it was, it's quicker than it was 30 years ago. I wasn't, I, w- I wouldn't be able to comment on that. But I do think that they're moving forward at a rapid pace. And I think one of the things you're seeing is the next generation here are really, really step up and they really want to contribute to their own, um, their own country, to their own region as a whole. I know that you've had even some of my friends here on the show, like Alanoud. I mean, these people are absolutely exceptional and, and any country should be proud to, to their own. And yeah, and I think, by the way, and I think you see that on, you know, on the Israel side too. I mean, there are groups who are doing incredible things on the, on the social sphere, but, you know, but to Fleur's point, what I can say is on the business side, I think that it's, it's you know, like the U.A. Israel Business Council has done unprecedented work. I mean, you know, we always tout the numbers, right, of how many businesses are part of this. But the, I think what's so exceptional is the fact that it's a 50-50 split. Okay, that is really important. I mean, people, you know, councils can have tons of members, but if it's one-sided, it's pretty irrelevant. And so I think that contributes right? That, that contributes to the success because we, we have people who really like, again, this is the theme of the day. They pull up their chair and they say, let's do something.
0: But it, and- it, it sort of comes to what ultimately that word tolerance. And, you know, Fleur and I have had some really Im- amazing guests on on the show um, from, from the Emirati side, and it comes right from the top of their leadership, this axis yeah. of tolerance versus, you know, if you draw a line across the Middle East, the axis of intolerance. Um, and that realpolitik as well of, you know, a, an Iran that's spreading its tentacles on, on that side of the fence. You know, they've got a new, even more radical president sworn in today yeah. versus this this amazing family unity. And it really does feel like that across the Accords and and even beyond in those countries that, you know, maybe thinking about it or just a, a part of that wider sphere. Um, I, I guess you see that with, with clients who want to present that message from, from, from all spheres.
2: Uh, Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you to your point about the region in general, you know, we also are, you know, I'm also a founding member of uh, the Gulf Israel women's forum, which Fleur and and Justine founded. And there are women in there that are not even just part of the Abraham accord countries. And I think that's, That's really important. You know, we have Saudi represented there. We have, we have countries who you wouldn't think, but again, it goes to show that this region in general is just moving forward at a much, much quicker pace. Now, you know, I've been asked before, why do I think, why do I think they're kind of more open to it? And I think one of the reasons is that you're starting to see more and more people here being educated in the West. And if you're educated in the West, yeah, then And you go to school with Jews and you see that all the stereotypes that maybe you had seen on TV or seen on the Internet, whatever it might be, you see that they're not true. And then you work with them on school projects. And then you say, hey, if we can work together on school projects, why can't we work together in real life? And I think that this is all part of this process so that, you know, God willing, the next generation, they, they will never know that there really was this chasm that divided us before because They'll go, you know, an Israeli will go into an Israeli college campus and they'll see an Emirati and a Bahraini and God willing, other countries as well. And then when they want to do a semester abroad, they're going to say, hey, let's go to Abu Dhabi for a semester. That that's that's going to be so normal that that we're going to sit here laughing and saying like we, that, you know, you guys don't even know what, what people had to go through to, to kind of get no. there. So I think it's absolutely hard. I mean, to go to a lot
1: to go to Dubai, to be honest, you know, I think Dubai is probably more affordable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's but I, th- I think what you say, Ariela, is really, really insightful, and, and it's it goes to a lot of what Fleur's work leads to in terms of, you know, textbooks and education in Israel with the Palestinian or Israeli Arabs, um, and PR, ultimately, you're the PR guru, but PR starts in the classroom. When we start changing the message of how peoples can live together, the history of our peoples together, that just follows through. The life chain, through the food that's, chain.
1: That's very perceptive, Robin. It's very funny because um, when I, we have a, a mutual friend of mine and Ariella's, um, who's a big influencer. And I asked him, I said, when did the school curriculum change here? And he said, you know what, about 10, 12 years ago. Um, and so imagine that. So it took 10, 12 years to kind of clean out the bias And and you're 100% right, Ariela. it is about people going to the West and studying and meeting Jews and saying, hey, they're normal, The Jews are just like us. (laughs) So I think it it is all that, but there was a conscious effort, which we now see in Saudi Arabia by the government, to take out incitement from the classroom in order for, in 10 years, for people not to feel resentful um, and and not to feel any type of, there's any incitement in their day. But Ariela, now the way you see things and you have multiple clients, not just uh, clients, of course, in the, you know, in the private sector, but you have some organizations, uh, community and all sorts of other people. How do you see, um, you know, now that we've gotten through the first year, how do you see this moving forward? Where do you see this moving to?
2: Well, first off, I mean, how exciting is that that we're already at the one year mark? I mean, in some ways, amazing, know, we'll remember, right? I mean, you know, we will all remember where we were on August thirteenth, on uh, you know, August thirteenth, you know, twenty twenty, on September eleventh, twenty twenty, on you know, September fifteenth, twenty twenty. But I think also we should we should really take a step back and say, like, holy cow, it's been a full year. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I actually think that it might have been more successful than anybody would have imagined because. You know the model for peace in the region, candidly, was not as strong, right? I mean, it really wasn't as strong. If you take a look at you know at Egypt and at Jordan, and now we have a model that I 100%. think we all hope other countries are going to say, "Look at this! Like, you know, if we sign up, this is what happens: we have yeah. two hundred thousand tourists that come in a year. Okay, any year, everybody wants that, but I'm clo- that's okay. in a bad year. That's a Corona year. Exactly. That's a, that's exactly what I was going to say. Meaning, that's 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 amazing. You know, when then when you hear about like half a billion dollars worth in business deals alone in the UAE and Israel? Who doesn't want that? I mean, think about all the issues that are going on in this region for other countries. In so many ways, this is like the the key that unlocks the success and and turns around for them. So I think first and foremost, it's, you know, congratulations and a round of applause for everybody for this last year, because, you know, our governments, you know, showed us that this is possible, and we showed our governments we support it, right? So like, this was really all around, this was a success. Um, and I think in terms of where we go from here, there's literally only one direction, and it's and it's up. And as long as we all work together, um, you know, hands in hand to help bring these things forward, and, and and in a balanced approach, not just business, but also cultural, not just cultural, but also social. As long as we do this all together, I really think that 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 the sky's the limit.
0: But I think we haven't even dreamed yet of the things that will be possible over the next 10, 20, 30 years, if we continue on this trajectory, you know, we're, we're, I'm talking big things, you know, we could build tunnels through a lot straight through to the rest of the region. We can, we can connect in ways that we, we haven't even envisioned yet. We,
1: we could drive to Saudi, honestly, if we had yep. peace with Saudi, you could drive to Saudi for the weekend. I mean, to, to, to areas of Saudi. I mean, it's, it's crazy how close we are and how part of a region we are and yet how separated and isolated we were and now for me the most exciting thing is that we can face regional challenges as a region and not Israel on its own you know that for me is the most exciting thing Real, is there anything you worry about
2: no I, I really do believe and and maybe I drink the kool-aid and that's fine but <laughs> but I really do believe that if we all continue, Um, at the, at the pace that we're going. And if we all continue to look out for one another and look forward to working, you know, with each other hand in hand, I don't really think we're going to have an issue. And I think the, the, the proof in the pudding is, you know, we talked earlier, you, you mentioned about the textbooks, right? And how it starts in school, but it also starts at home. It's like, it's like the conversation that probably every one of your, you know, kids, teachers have had with you, right? Like how you have to, you know, reinforce whatever they're teaching at home, but that's, what's so cool about what's happening here. You could change text, you know, textbooks. In fact, you could even change the movies on Netflix. We could have a whole conversation about how Netflix doesn't necessarily do us all justice either. But the point is, is that what, what we're seeing here is this real societal change, and that is imbued down to the next generation of children. And in in turn, this is just going to become their new normal, the same way that for the generations before us, that the old school approach was that normal, right? You know, I remember people saying like, oh, you know, is who's going to, how are they going to fix the Middle East? First off, what's cool about this is now the Middle East is saying, we don't need you guys to, you know, kind of to to fix us we can do it we can we can partner together and I think that as the one-year mark comes up and then as the two-year mark comes up and then three four five I mean can you imagine we could have the same conversation in 10 years in fact let's put it in our calendars to mark yeah. <laughs> year mark, and we can talk about it then but I'm telling you okay. that well yeah right well, we'll there are going to be many more countries that come on board because it's so hard to deny the success of these accords yeah, not right, just 10%. financially but for the people oh, the people so are sure. so happy about them so uh, care
1: to bet, Ariella, I know that you might be here conflicted a little, <laughs> countries that may come on board? Yeah. Oman, Oman, for example, small country, you know, well, young new monarch, an MBZ,
2: an MBS type of type. Yeah, I mean, but let's, let's just remember that Oman and, and Kuwait um, are, to your point, they've got new leadership. So let's give them a little time to kind of right. get their, their their sea legs under them. Um, I know everybody. Everybody always asks the big three-letter question about Saudi, you know, KSA, um, yeah. and I. I do think we're getting closer. You know, I'll, I'll give you an interesting thing. Many times when this conversation comes up and they ask me about Saudi and they say, "What do the Saudis need to do it?" Do you ever hear that question? Like, yes. People say, "What, what do they need to push?" Yeah, what's, stopping waiting you? For?
0: what's stopping What's right. stopping
2: just like tell us what it is and we'll fix it, and and it almost implies like the Saudis haven't said it over and over. But if anybody, if any of the podcast listeners here are as much of a GCC nerd as I am, then you'll know that the Saudis have actually repeated the same line like a thousand and a half times, right? They want the they they want um, the Palestinians to to come to the table, meaning they want there to be some discussion going on in order to do it. Now, politic aside on that, what I will tell you is is that. You know, if if we get to that stage where there is conversation and maybe that is a place where the new administration can can help because, you know, the the Palestinians sometimes find that they have um, they have allies, you know, with, with the, on the Democratic side. But the point is, is if, if they come to the table, then I think we have a real shot at the Saudis now coming to this broader table. And I think, again, you know. Everybody here watches what goes on in the region. So they know exactly like every time there's another announcement about another economic milestone that this has hit. I mean, they all see it. And, and the Saudis are very dedicated to Vision 2030. And it's mm-hmm. it's out there in the public that, um, you know, that they know that they need to work with the Israelis in order to achieve Vision 2030. So, I think that I think that it will happen. Um, would I tell you that it's going to happen in the next month or two? No. Um, but I do think it will happen. And there's been many things in, in the last couple in, within the last year, actually, there have been many kind of mile markers, so to speak, that have come up. So in terms, for, in terms of, of your question, look, I think I think if Saudi comes on board, I think that it has impact, not just for GCC countries, because remember, Saudi, um, you know, is 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 very important in Islam. So theoretically, if Saudi comes on board, you have a much easier time getting countries like Indonesia and Malaysia to come on board as well. So in some ways, so, like the the kingpin, you know, piece in terms of, again, from a much more regional perspective,
0: I think economically, I, I, if, yeah, we're, if we're I, I, there's I, a, there's a block that's being formed as well. And, if, and that will play a huge role in getting people to come to a table. Money is a big motivator.
1: Sure, Apple. but I think that more than money, I, the way I see it is, is the realignment of the Middle East uh, between countries that want peace and prosperity, want real modernization, um, and countries that don't, You know, countries that, that that literally don't. So this new realignment with Israel in the picture, I think is the most significant thing to happen diplomatically in this region for decades. I don't think anybody can compare this to anything. And it's kind of sad, I think, Ariela, that in America, not more of a bigger deal was made out of this um, in terms of really what, what it did. Um, and I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Are Americans aware of how significant this is? Do they care?
2: So. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's funny cause I um, right like I said, we're, we're, we're recording this as we're about to hit the one year anniversary. Um, and uh, you know, to the point you guys have made, we do a lot, we have a lot of clients who are um, involved in various aspects to the accord. So I'm speaking with the media. Um, so I spoke with a journalist yesterday afternoon, my time in Dubai. So that's like, you know, New York in the, in the morning. Um, and the person said, oh, that's coming up already. That was literally the way that they said it. oh that's coming up. And, and, and this ties in also with, with your earlier point Fleur, you know, um, I truly do believe that this will be one of the biggest things in my generation will ever see. And I do think it is probably one of the biggest shifts that we will see in in the Middle East. Why? Right. And, and why? Because I actually I don't believe that it was just the Abraham Accord, you know, V1, so to speak, right, version one in 2020. Like, I do believe this is going to be um, there's going to be a domino effect here. And so this the, the Abraham Accords are going to carry on, not just in terms of the sharing of everything that's going on with these countries already. But I do think other countries are going to come on board. Um, and so, you know, to the point about America, Um, I wish more people were excited about it, to be honest. Sometimes it feels a a little bit like a party of one, Um, but (laughs) (laughs) three. (laughs) In in, in America, when I'm like there, you know, like so much of my, so much of my world is like wrapped around this because of the opportunity and the excitement around it. And so it's just so funny. Like when, when literally when this person, this is like a, this is a well-respected journalist goes, Ooh, that's coming up already. Um, Like, like, you know, like they just forgot. Um, But look, I think, in, in America, the two communities who were really excited about it were the Jewish community and the evangelical community. And and I yeah. do think it's worth pointing out on the, on the American Jewish community, you know, American Jews, like British Jews, like European Jews, always had access to come to the to the GCC. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you, one of the reasons that we kind of became the place, the shop, so to speak, for for all this stuff that's going on here is because it was about the time that I had moved over into, to, you know, my, my father's firm, where Jews realized, wait, we can do stuff there. It's just the Israelis who can't. But there was always many people, there was always this like security concern, right? Like, can I go? Can I openly be Jewish? That that type of thing. And um, they were looking for somebody who understood the region and who really understood their values and kind of helped marry the two as they went into do business here. And so when it comes to the American Jews, I think it's important. It's worth noting that some of the benefits the GCC gets out of these Abraham Accords is access to those Western Jewish communities because, you know, it was, it was always safe for them. But when you hear that now that there's hotels here with kosher food, even people who don't keep kosher, they say, wow, that's an acceptance of my religious of my religion and, and people's religious practice within my religion. So it really opened the door that way. Um, and I can tell you, I, I just told this to somebody, I just flew back from New York to Dubai. And there was a Satmar, Has- the Hasidish man on the flight, like Strymal and all. And, um, oh, and we and see some that? of them
1: around Dubai, God help them with the heat, but we see it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, but that's not something, you would have seen the baseball hat move, right? Like um, that that's thats always kind of what I call it, the baseball hat move. And, and, um, and you still see that in some of the countries around here that are not Abraham Accord countries. But I will say that I do think on the whole, wearing a kippah is not as um eccentric okay in Mm -hmm. any of these countries as it was five years ago 10 years ago absolutely i would say that europe is actually you know
1: you're playing you're playing you're gambling with your life but in the gcc or at least the countries that i've experienced on the contrary, i mean there's a famous they, they they interviewed me and i said that my husband was wearing a kippah on a friday night and we had a taxi stop and go welcome jews so you know i think it's about the opposite and not and i would even go as far as saying something more that the ultra-orthodox jews that are there um certainly the ones coming from israel the Chabadnikim that are there the the people who visibly look jewish i think the emiratis actually have a, a real respect for people in their religious garb because that's the type of respect that they expect um and they as they should get back so I would actually say they they respect the people who respect themselves, and when they see an ultra orthodox person, then they say, "Oh, okay, they can relate to that." Which I think is
0: there's, is a, fam- really there's a famous Jonathan Sachs line on that that, uh, that is I can't true. remember. There is there I can't remember it verbatim, but you know, non Jews respect Jews who respect themselves. It's yes. a very I, I'm simple just model, that
2: actually. Yeah, 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 hundred no, percent. I, I also think that there's a lot of commonalities between you know, yes. religious Muslims and religious Jews. And so absolutely. You know, Fleur, to your point, um, actually Fleur and I had we had dinner that Friday night together. Um <laughs> we were walking back from uh on the pause. And um, you'll remember that there was uh, there was an Emirati. It was it was Loai, and and we said, do you want to say something? And we thought he would just say something, and he literally gave a Dvar Torah. And he he gave, gave a Dvar Torah better than you or I, Rob. Yeah, yeah. so much. so he, much things I didn't school. know. <laughs> yeah, so much, so much for that day school education, but nonetheless. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and he, by the way, he learns. I just I, actually, I just I just saw him a few weeks ago. He learns with with Rabbi Abadi. I mean, he's really committed amazing. to this. So amazing. I think, right. So I he's think that amazing. I, Yeah, I I think that the that that we we all recognize the commonalities. You know, Friday is a significant day for um, for Muslims as it is for Jews. You know, I'll tell you, Sunday is
1: is is the first day of the week for them, like it is for us.
2: Absolutely, but Fleur knows this. Um, The Association of Gulf Jewish Communities, which is a fantastic, fantastic uh, organization here, and and they really have provided a lot of resources to the Jews in the Gulf. Basically, they have representation for. There's there actually are Jews in all six. Gulf countries. So for those who are listening, that's Jews in Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the UAE, Qatar, Oman, and Kuwait. And They've done incredible things. I mean, they shipped 650 pounds of matzah in, I mean, think about that for a second, full stop. Would you ever think we'd have a conversation about shipping 650 pounds of matzah into the GC? And getting it there on time. <laughs> yeah, getting it there on time. But but the point is like, this is the stuff that they're doing. So they started this thing, this, um, this hashtag before Shabbat, and it goes, it's, the hashtag is literally hashtag Shabbat with A-G-J-C. And anybody who's listening is welcome to, to search in Twitter and see the, the responses. But Forget about the fact that it's now gone so viral outside of the GCC. I mean, we've got Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, and it's crazy what's what's happening. But we actually have Muslims, Emirati Muslims and Bahraini Muslims who are sending in their their pictures and writing Shabbat with AGGC. I mean, how amazing is that? Um, And you see you see Jews here and Jews now even, you know, globally, let alone regionally wishing them, you know, when they, you know, aid Mubarak and and things like that. So I think what these accords have done is they've actually made us all more educated in terms of other cultures and religions around us. Um, and they've put this sense within us that we have the ability to help move these to fruition. And we're all really excited about it.
0: I want I want to come back to something you said a few minutes ago, which is about opportunity, because obviously yeah. you are taking the and seizing the opportunity that is in this region, from a um, obviously strategic communications perspective, working with different types of companies, organizations, individuals, I presume as well across the region. Um, what's your playbook? I guess your strategy. Your what are the pillars behind Ariella's PR? Um, I, I guess roadmap or blueprint for helping companies and individuals. Win in the region from a PR perspective.
2: So PR is is really the art of storytelling, right? So whether it's a new product, a new service, a thought leader, right, who who has a new perspective on things. So it's all about telling the story. And sometimes I say PR is kind of like an algebra problem, right? A plus B equals C. <laughs> so if you think about the A as like the the person, and you think of the B as the story, then you'll get that like you'll get the the right result. The the person being the journalist. So you know, PR is not like a, you don't just like say, ooh, let me go to everybody here. You really have to find the right journalist to tell the right story too. And so if you take a look at some of the people who I think in general in this region are real thought leaders, like, like Fleur herself, right? I mean, Fleur has really, has, has a narrative um, that, that she's been able to share with media, by the way, Arabic media, English media, TV media here, you know, all that. And, and I I wonder think that- who hooked me up. Me too. I wonder. Can I get her
1: name? Who told me all
2: those interviews? <laughs> <laughs> but but I'll I'll tell you. You know, again, I think I think in general around here, there's really an interest in telling these stories. You know, it, you can read many stories um, from journalists based here talking about kosher food. There's a real fascination with kosher food. Why? Because again, halal is so important to them. We want to learn about kosher because it's so important to you. You know, they one of my it. Friends, they 100%, get it. Hundred get it. One of my friends here, this is this just happened about a couple of weeks ago, told me that her fa- that they go, whatever, they go every summer to Italy for vacation, um, she and her husband, and their favorite restaurant happens to be a kosher restaurant. Why? Because it's very hard to get halal food, so they eat kosher when they're on the road. And also,
1: and, actually, that's a really, uh, a lot of Emiratis say to me, they can get halal, but they're normally these little like, uh, you know, shawarma joints. It's not a restaurant. You can sit down. And so they all go to kosher restaurants in Europe.
2: And it's very, it's like very, very popular. You know, I was in, I was in New York last week. Um, and so I, I was actually at dinner with my siblings um, celebrating my sister just uh, took the bar. And so I was there and there was the shiraka group was there. And it was the, it was so cool to be able to actually introduce my my family in America um, to to one of my really good friends you know here in the UAE who is in town um, and and I and it was just you know and and she was saying how, how much she liked the, the kosher restaurant there's there's just so much that really bonds us together so in terms of telling the story I think you have journalists who really do want to tell these stories and in many cases you'll hear them say that they've wanted to tell these stories for a long time um, not that they couldn't before but just that now they have more leeway to really tell them there's an
0: audience there's an audience who wants to hear it
2: and a local audience who wants to hear it even Um, but i'll tell you something really cool a few years ago um a few years ago i was uh you know becky anderson from cnn so i had a client on there actually it was exactly when the it was the time when the poke was here and so she put up a map on the screen and she said that, you know, it was about Jewish life in the region growing. And so she put up a map and she highlighted the countries where there's Jewish life. And the, the countries were the UAE, Bahrain um, and Qatar actually, because Qatar, they, they claim they have about a hundred um, Jews on campus at one of their universities. It's like an amalgamation of a bunch of universities in the States that are all there. So between faculty and students, it's about hundred. Um, anyway, so, so we're, you know, we're, we're, he's on air to, doing the segment. And one of her interns comes up to me and he says, I actually, I grew up in Bahrain. I actually know the Bahraini Jews. And um, fast forward, by the way, he now works for me out here um, <laughs> he was. But he was like so excited to see Bahrain highlighted on the map because he had gone to school with them again. You know, had such great experiences. Um, and so, and now he's one of the people who's helping me to tell these stories about the Muslims and the Jews coming together to do things. Um, you know, Fleur has been there. But one of the things that's just so remarkable, and, and this is a moment that if you told me ten years ago would happen, I never, I, I wouldn't have seen it coming. But we helped to launch a new Holocaust exhibit here in the UAE um, in a museum that is owned by an Emirati. And just, just yeah. stop and, and take that in for a second. I mean, an Emirati said, it is important that we educate people about the Holocaust. And he brought in artifacts and he created, you know, the narrative, he brought in the right people to help tell that story. and. You know the media here, I think we're equally as amazed that they would be, they would be, you know, Zoha, so to speak, to be in a position to tell a story like that. It, it's its so mind-boggling for people who it's have been here so many years. It's mind-boggling,
1: but I don't see as any less mind-boggling the fact that this man, way before the Abraham Accords, had Jewish artifacts in his museum telling the story of the Jews of the region and saying and declaring Jews and indigenous to the Middle East. And look, here's the proof. That to me is equally as mind-boggling.
2: That's no, true. You know, somebody said to me the other day that when Muslims and Jews in this region work together, you know, eons and eons ago, they brought culture, they brought all different types of things. And then all of a sudden, wherever this outside force of this, like this hatred that kind of seeped in. But I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing kind of like um, we're all banding together and saying like, we want to go back to that golden age and we want to bring it forward at the same time. And so uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I, I think what's super interesting is, and Fleur, maybe you'll know more about this, I want to see more of this storytelling here in Israeli schools with Israeli children learning about the Arab lands and what's happening in the region. Because I think there might be an imbalance. Maybe it's coming. Maybe well, we're let me just together. tell
1: you, as the only uh, safadi in this group, that in general, in uh, the Israeli education system, there's very little on the heritage of the Sephardi Jews. Yeah, completely agree. From the different Arab countries. So already there's an Ashkenom normality, they call it Ashkenomarity, whatever, that we need to face. And and this is the reason why I'm I'm working towards a museum of the story of Jews from Arab and Muslim lands. And uh, Ariella knows because she helped us put together an event with this very same museum where we were celebrating a common heritage. Um, but that that Rob is you know the problem is is the fact that that we have we in our own education system don't talk enough about it, which is a real shame.
2: Well, I think you just touched on a very important point, and I will admit um, that you know that somebody kind of had to call this out to me even a few years ago, but. You know in israel you hear the arabs right that's like a phrase the arabs but what people yeah. don't realize is there actually are arab jews and it's very important to to keep that in mind you know like the bahrainis are they're arab jews they are part of arab lands you know arab is is it really it's a geotag it's not a religion and so sometimes i think when when the media in israel or you know when colloquially people just kind of say the arabs we're all kind of you're doing a disservice so to speak, because. It's really important to be able to show that, you know, we we have an Arab heritage as well. And, and to Fleur's point, there are, there are Jews all over this region who do. And we have to remind ourselves, we have to remind you know, the next generation and even the generation above us that when we lump people together, that's kind of where problems begin, right? We have to look at people as individuals and we have to look at them as their contributions, you know, to society. And so I, I hope, I hope. That we'll start moving away from just using this blanket phrase of Arabs, okay? When candidly, very often in Israel, it comes with a little bit of a negative connotation, um, and I hope that we'll move away from that. But I think it will happen because again, Israelis are so excited. You know, somebody said to me, "Who's more excited?" It's so hard to gauge that because, you know, in, in, <laughs> it's everybody's... a contest
0: of who yeah. is more excited.
2: I guess the two hundred really I guess
0: the
2: two hundred <laughs> <guess> <laughs> in here prove what oh, Well, we but... did. We're
1: not letting anybody in for God's sake. I mean. I <laughs> <laughs> I said to you
2: a few weeks ago, let me know when you want the Americans back. Um, well, like that,
1: Ariella still hasn't been able to go. There's already been three Emirati groups,
2: but they don't letting Ariella in. It's <laughs> <laughs> hey, true. Speaking of the Emirati groups, I mean, let's just say we were talking about all these these. Um, exciting developments that have actually physically taken place here, like these Shabbat dinners. But let's also not forget that iconic image of, of some of our dear friends, Flair, like Majid, yes. lighting the menorah at the Kotel. Yes, house. yes. That was and, really-
1: and how he got a standing ovation by people just standing there. People are very excited on both sides. You, you can't overestimate how excited people are
2: hundred percent. But I'll tell you, you know, a funny story you're talking about, like, you know, kind of people, um, Israelis having to kind of learn the culture a little bit. So uh, one of my friends was on a different different group who was there um, and came in in his national garb. And uh, and somebody said, your majesty, because they thought like a gentleman, everybody was royal. You know, the candora was right. So I think um, and, and he wasn't affected. It was it was cute, but it was like these like little kids. But um, but the point is, is that I think I what I hope results from this and we talk about like we talked before about like textbook uh, textbooks is I hope that there's also a curricula that goes to kids on both in both sides right um, and really teaches them about the other because if we break if we break it down we'll actually see that we're so much more alike than people think oh, 100%. right so but Absolutely. if we teach that to the kids at a young age then
1: it will be so right. natural 100% I'm with you Ariela. Ariella, it's always a pleasure chatting to you. We could probably go on for another hour, right, Rob?
0: Absolutely. This is. there uh... anybody
1: who speaks more than me, Rob? Like, oh.
0: <laughs> it's, it's certainly you a good should, contest. It's certainly you should a good see what
1: contest. happens when we get together. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but we get together. Nobody can get a word in edgeways. We have our own like internal little jokes that only she and I find funny. <laughs>
0: well, I feel honored then that I managed to speak.
1: You're one of the <laughs> girls now, Rob.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <It> always was. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, it's true. Fleur came. Fleur came for Shabbos. Uh, actually, the Jerusalem Post conference that weekend, she stayed for Shabbos, um, and I, I think everybody was just like blown away when the two of us together we're quite the uh, the dynamic duo, as they say. But um, look, just to kind of I guess wrap up. I mean, that is also something really iconic which we should discuss because um, this was really important to Fleur and I that there be a joint media conference between the two countries because media plays such a vital role, such a vital role. Um, and in some some cases, I think that the media is overlooked for how Pivotal of uh, a position that they played in terms of helping to change perception and things like that. So, you know, we helped to connect the Jerusalem Post and the Khalish Times and had an absolutely incredible yes. panel. Incredible yes. panel. Um, yes. I think it was we, the
1: best panel in the whole conference. Not that I'm biased, but I, I was going to say
2: we might be a little bit biased, but we
1: might be a little uh, bit. Uh, Ariella emceed this panel and it oh, was like well. women in diplomacy and it was fantastic.
2: Well, it's easy to emcee a panel and you've got absolute superstars, but um, we had, you know, we had Fleur on from, from Israel. We had Ruth Wasserman Landi from Israel. Um, we had uh, Ambassador Marcy Grossman, who's actually the Canadian ambassador here to the UAE. Um, and then we had Ambassador Huda Nunu, who's the Bahraini, the former Bahraini ambassador to America. Uh, she's now with the foreign ministry, but she's actually the Arab world's first and only Jewish ambassador. And so it was a really amazing conversation to talk about the role that, that women played, yeah. but, I think, um, I think that, again, to, to have a, a conference in the UAE, not in Israel, yes. but in the UAE, dedicated to these types of discussions is really remarkable. So, you know. Yeah. Add to that, that it was a week after the conflict, which we didn't
1: know how that was gonna go down. We didn't know how people were gonna react. And I just felt, and and I and, and Arielle and I were, were chatting and debating about whether the timing was right, whether it wasn't right. But ultimately, what I think that conference did was kind of break the ice after the conflict and say, okay, back to business. And that was really, really significant. We Timing's so everything. Timing's to be, everything. To be able to have been, the, we were the of that, <laughs> we were the matchmakers of that, and so. And, and
2: Rob, to your point, to your point about timing being everything, like we said earlier, again this happened at the right time. And I think people have to remember yeah. that. Like, you know, people like you hear people say like, oh, this should have happened, you know, five years ago. No, it should have happened now. And and it's exactly. very important that we appreciate the way that the timing felt, you know, fell out because it, you have to go through a process to get to this point. And if you jumpstart that process and you go too quickly, you wouldn't have the authenticity that you have now of this relationship. This relationship is not going to break overnight. Like this, there's real relationships that are being established. Yes. And so that could not have happened if it, it went in a different order or anything of the sort. So um, so anyway, I, I, uh, I hope we get to welcome you, Rob, here. Uh, to Absolutely.
0: The, to the well, I'm, I'm looking forward to making my first trip there as soon as possible. And Ariella, as we come to, we, we joked as we we came on air, but, uh, you know, there are, there are a few days within the next sort of two months that mark different milestones and anniversaries yeah. within the Abraham Accords. Uh, we sort of joked that, you know, it's like a three day hug. Um, of of festivals for, for this so it's great to be able to have you on sharing your perspective in the region what you're hearing from people both culturally from a business standpoint and from a PR and storytelling narrative so it's been fantastic having you on the show to mark the first of the um uh, anniversary shows that Flair and I will hopefully be sharing over the next few weeks thank you so much it's me,
1: wonderful again. to have had you Ariella and just one Ariella is not just telling the story Ariella is an important part of the story she is the story <laughs> I am to one year
2: L'chaim we did it <laughs> we did it <laughs> thank you very much both it was it was really a pleasure
0: thank you for joining Flair and I on the Abraham Accords podcast Remember to subscribe so you can be updated on more episodes.